Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. This is the interview of the day on Deutsche Bank. And John, I say that because we go to the bond market and all of the debt dynamics of any bank, and any bank has a ton of debt. Philippe already with Hermes is with us uh, today, uh, their senior credit analyst. Filippo, when you sort out the glide pass of all of these dynamics, particularly over time, out to 2022, what's your enthusiasm for this set of announcements? Can they do it? Yeah, well, um, Tom, as you said correctly, it's uh, it's quite interesting because this time also it's a the um, a restructure which is not going to be financed by the um, shareholders, as you can expect, given uh, the sorry state of the um, uh, where the equity of Deutsche Bank is trading. This is it financed by internal resources, essentially, is financed by. Uh, reducing the um, uh, capital tar- capital target of the bank, and I think it's uh, the idea of Deutsche Bank is to go to the regulator and say, uh, listen, uh, we the risk in the balance sheet of the of the group, and therefore, so we think uh, if we can execute on that strategy, then um, we're going to be less of a problem to you, and therefore we can lower the um, uh, capital target. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a little bit of an ambitious plan, but um, the the least we can say is that uh, the management has listened to the shareholder because shareholder wanted a, a um, the bank to undergo a a, um, a regime to reduce the the balance sheet at the same time not to tap the shareholder because yeah. the Dutch bank has, has raised 30 billion euros since 2010. Well, let's talk about how likely that is. How do you fund the bill, which is 7.4 billion euros by 2022? That's the restructuring bill, Filippo, as you know, with internal resources alone. What's your judgment call this morning? Do you think that's achievable? Um, I think so. Yeah, if you look at the 7.4 billion, it is actually only 5.4 because it's all in terms of cash. Because there is an element of um, write down on the DTA, the fair tax asset. But without going too much into the technicalities, I think it's uh, of course so they're not going to pay dividends for the full year 2019 and 2020. Uh, they um, uh, reducing effectively the CT1 ratio by more than 100 basis points because it was 13.7. Now they uh, acknowledge it will go as low as 12.5 billion. I think also the most important thing is that there won't be any, um, uh, say, uh, uh, attrition from the, on the revenue side because it's good to control the cost base. And they want to reduce the cost base by 6 billion by 2022, but of course, so this. Uh, um, uh, discount a uh, not a material deterioration on the revenue on the revenue side of the business, which of course is difficult when you're closing all the equity business outside. Uh, yeah, Felipe, the difficulty with this bank, as always, over the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe even ten years, was this self-fulfilling spiral downwards that they try and retrench, but then the revenue growth never comes, and we just chase everything lower. Can we cut that death spiral with this turnaround plan? I think it's a possibility. I think that's all. We have to say that um, recognize to the to the new management that uh, finally, so they um, they put in their words where the the mouth is, and I mean they attempt in this. Uh, 
the vacuum very this one very ambitious restructuring. It's uh, very true. It's the first one in probably 15 years that Deutsche Bank is undergoing such a deep restructuring, and I think it's uh, it's probably the way to go for them. And uh, time will tell whether they uh, they can achieve those targets. Let, let's um, step back and ask what is in the bad bank. I mean, you've got a wonderfully detailed uh, note, Filippo, but do, do we really know what's in the bad bank? Can we actually price it now? Uh, that's a very good question. Actually, it's quite key of this uh, afternoon uh, strategy update the management is holding with investors around the world. I think also it's a lot in this uh, so-called bad bank, 74 billion or RWAs. And I think also a lot is linked to the... Um, um, so some equity derivatives, there is some long-term uh, uh, derivatives. Also, there is something which is called operational risk, which is something that so they can, uh, as long as the regulator is in favor, they can shed uh, right. relatively easily. But we don't know the, the split between, say, sale and uh, rundown of this, uh, yeah. this stuff in the bad bank. And what's interesting, folks, through all of this, starting with the press release, I believe it was on Saturday and on and on, What's interesting to me, uh, Filippo, is how the regulators fit into this, how the government of Germany fits into this. Am I wrong to say that Deutsche Bank is being run this morning by the, in, you know, as a general statement by the German government? Um, maybe I wouldn't go as far, but uh, I think I see the, the sense of your question and it is fair, I mean, that uh, Deutsche Bank is the largest um, financial group in Germany, and uh, you would say the German government and also the central bank, the European central bank, they do have a stake in the stability of the institution. So I think that's what their uh, point of view is that so they make sure that the bank is uh, solid enough to withstand even choppy waters. And I think this uh, management plan attempt to go in that direction, to make uh, Deutsche Bank at so leaner, but maybe more solid. Filippo, do you see this plan as credit positive this morning? Um, I'm a little bit on the fence in the sense that, of course, so for, for that to be in very credit positive would have involved a capital raise. But, of course, so I'm aware that uh, since the bank has raised so much money, $30 billion over the last nine years, it's, it's actually quite tough to go back to the shareholder and say, would you mind uh, stamping in, I don't know, I don't know another five, six billion euro in order to fund this restructuring. I think that's so, uh, something got a given, and in that sense, that's so is the reduction on the CT1 ratio of Deutsche Bank. Would love your view on the regional strategy here as well, focusing on Germany. Yeah. Filippo, focusing on Germany, is that a good or a bad thing right now? Well, conjuncturally, maybe it's not a great thing also because that's we know the German economy is in slow down. But at the same time, so you would think that the uh, the German economy need a strong bank. They would make the case of forces so, of uh, lots of the Wall Street banks, so the Goldman, the JP Morgan, the Bank of America, they're well, very well established in Germany. But I think also the Germans perceive they do need a um, uh, so-called national champion, oh, so one who's well, uh, able to accompany the, say, the large German export around the world. Okay, exactly. But to John's good question, do those people need sophisticated or less than sophisticated fixed income strategies? I mean, all they want to do is affect commercial transactions in, say, Malaysia, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, there is an element of that. So they, they want to be also the bank to be able to accompany them, say, in trade finance uh, 
program if they want to build, I don't know, a factory in uh, Southeast Asia or they want to finance uh, a, the acquisition, say, for example, of a manufacturer in Brazil by a Japanese company or, or the German uh, investment, yeah. I don't know, in Canada. I think so they, the German, you have to think uh, they are very conservative in nature and uh, they right. like to have a bank to speak the same language. Filippo, this is I mean, been... in London and New York, it's yeah. may, maybe a bit more difficult to understand, but uh, I think it's very peculiar to the German nature. Right. This has been wonderful. Filippo Aloadi, thank you so much. We now get perspective after uh, someone who's really worked 24-7 the last three, four days. Allison Williams Publishing with Bloomberg Intelligence. Allison, what do you say to the people down in Wall Street today with Deutsche Bank? I think that uh, Saving has made sort of the best of some bad choices, right? So there are really no yeah. good choices. You had to do something <clears throat> sort of big and bold. I do think, you know, there's a lot of talk about exiting the U.S., not having a U.S. Uh, but the headlines don't and say I that they don't because I think that would have been a mistake. So, you know, instead of right. exiting a region, they're exiting a product. The question for us remains, you know, they're going to keep some business there. How big is what they're keeping? Exactly. Why is the stock down this morning? I mean, we had, we had the pop. I mean, you bought you bought at what? 3 a.m., John? Keep me out of this. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you, but you bought the pop and we're, it's not pretty. The stock price is not pretty. Well, I, th I think it's two things, um, you know. Well, I, I guess really it's one thing. The bottom line is the fact that, um, you know, this is sort of the uh, one of many plans that's come out. Yes, it's a bigger, broader plan, um, but I think that it requires patience and it'll take time. And I think it's very positive that they put this plan together, um, which should avoid a capital raise. But I think that there is probably, um, you know, perhaps a, la a lack of confidence in that, and that concern is going to linger um, yeah. for a while, just given the past history. What's the best news of the morning? Avoiding a Tor capital no, raise. Torsten Slack just Apparently. No, Torsten Slack just published at Deutsche Bank. We like that. Fantastic news for Torsten Slack, and I hope it stays that way because we all enjoy reading his research. Yep. Alison, outside of avoiding a capital raise, what are the positives for shareholders this morning? I think the positives are that, again, that it, it's a big change. Um, the the cost targets, the profitability targets are all reasonable. So I think you know they're they're not heroic if you compare them to competitors. You know, however, you know, given where Deutsche Bank is, it still is sort of a a, a tough slog, and that's why you know we talk about you know more patience required. Um, you know, I think it's been a show me story for a long time. The key concern for us is really, you know, you're exiting equities, you're focusing on the things that you're good at, but how big do you have to be in equities to sort of keep a presence and not hurt your competitive position in this adjacent businesses? You know, research is, is an area um, that they've said that they're gonna stay in. So equity research, macro research, they're gonna keep enough of an equities effort to support M&A, to support equity underwriting, um, so how big is that, and and can they still be um, successful on that smaller scale? The stock is down 4%. We're at the lows for the session. We've rolled over in the last couple of minutes. Again, the headlines that I keep reading is radical change, a radical restructuring, 18,000 jobs, and it certainly sounds radical. Is this radical enough for Deutsche Bank, Allison? 
I think we need to have more details in terms of where the 18,000 is coming from. And I should flag the fact that they started a presentation at, at 8 a.m. So I'm not sure um, if there was something said early in the call. Um, I know that there was a media call earlier where there were a lot of questions about where the 18,000 is going to come from. You know, management is not giving detail on that. I think the fact that they're not giving detail, the fact that they outlined 1.4 yeah. billion of costs in the private bank signals that some of those could be coming from retail, some could be coming from Germany. Why did they decide to not do a cash call? It, was that dictated to them by large shareholders? Was it dictated to them by the German government? I think that they, um, obviously, for their shareholders, want to avoid this cash call. They are obviously, cutting the dividend, yeah. so there is some pain to shareholders. But there definitely are some smart money investors in this company, some former bank managements, well, presumably <clears throat> any company um, where you're going through such a big change. Um, right. Would would talk to your major shareholders and think about how they how they think about. Well, I, I just want to plan. explore this a little bit further with you, just to wrap up the conversation, Alison. I, I do wonder whether this narrative starts to take hold that the profitability targets are bold, the restructuring costs are so high that yes, they may say we don't need a cash call now, but I wonder whether the market is making an assumption now that they won't be able to avoid one because of those reasons. I think the market is is sort of telling you that, or and, and that seems to be what the stock is signaling, I think because you know a bank can can say all day long they don't need capital, but given past history, um, you know, with banks, with this company in particular, also we don't know about the environment. So there's still a lot of environmental risks out there. And I think that yeah. um, would be my concern as an investor. Um, and you know, let's give it some time and see how things um, play out. Alison uh, Williams, thank you so much. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. It has been an extraordinary day, and we see that now with further erosion uh, in Deutsche Bank. Let me get up the chart here. Uh, right now because it's not a pretty uh, chart. We can describe an 8% uh, move down from the peak this morning, 7.48-ish, 7.49 on the peak. That was in the 3 a.m. hour. And now we uh, break down to new lows moments ago. Marcus Ashworth with us, maybe with a good summary after talking to uh, bond experts at Hermes, if talking to Allison Williams, uh, the equity and the strategic fundamentals. Let's talk about the human condition of this. We can do this with Mr. Ashworth with years and years on global Wall Street. What a miserable day, Marcus, for 18,000 plus at Deutsche Bank. Indeed it is. It's been a long time coming. And in essence, what we're seeing here is international uh, investment banking employees being let go, though some will be transferred to other firms, possibly, um, at the expense of domestic uh, German retail employees, which is what would have happened uh, or more of if the Comets Bank um, merger had come through. But, you know, Deutsche has kept too many options open for too long. It's not going to be yeah. the Goldman Sachs of Europe, and it, and it had finally to take uh, the domestic and go back to being a bank rather than an investment bank. Let's take a broader conversation. The people that will be looking for jobs, what's the state of global Wall Street right now, and particularly the state of your London? I have to say, um, obviously, there's a, a Brexit element to it, though I don't think that's anything near as important as MIFID two, and indeed the whole robotic AI switch to, to doing uh, finance in a, in, a, in a more efficient manner and with less uh, body count. And I think that uh, this is a, 
another big crunch uh, akin to the global financial crisis for, uh, for, for employees around the world in investment banking because there simply isn't any money to be made in a negative rate environment. The Fed's cutting rates as well. So yeah. we've got no upside and people do not pay for trading stocks. I mean, I mean, you and, and folks, I should say that if you read Marcus Ashworth on Bloomberg Opinion, it's extremely visceral writing about the moment. And the moment of the last two weeks into this Deutsche Bank announcement, Marcus, is price up, yield down, and they keep buying. I keep telling people this is not a yield analysis. It's a price analysis, the desperation to own paper. What is the why of the desperation to own notes, bills, and bonds. It's simply because you have an index, or a lot of people have indexes to perform regardless. In some senses, if you can see it's going one-way traffic, you have to be part of it, and that's uh, hold your close your eyes, hold your nose, whatever it is, and buy, because in essence, this is going to be a terrible year for people after possibly a bad 2018 in certain ways, uh, and getting caught out, particularly in the bond markets, by not being long enough stock or, or, or long enough of maturity is... It's going to hurt you badly. What is your understanding of if Deutsche Bank slims and trims in New York and London and everywhere else, they're going to be, quote, a German bank? What does that mean to Marcus Ashworth? Well, it means that they they were once seen, obviously, as, uh, for many years as the titan of, of German corporate um, industry. And, and not, that way, perhaps, is where Comets Bank has maintained its, its, its uh, reputation. Deutsche Bank then went outside around the world and tried to take on Wall Street. And it very nearly succeeded. In fact, you could argue it succeeded brilliantly for many years. But uh, the domestic business is something which they obviously feel they can make, still make good money on, on, on redeploying capital into uh, using the weight of German industry and the weight of German banking and combine it together as a powerhouse of Europe. And that's what they are. They're a powerhouse of Europe, Germany, and they need a bank to reflect it. And they've not had it. They've had a underperforming, um, not quite up to bulge bracket status U.S. investment bank. Then there was that little article, Marcus, of BNP Paribas making clear they're going to go after their prime brokerage, their hedge fund servicing business as well. I mean, on a game theory basis, everyone in continental Europe, Unicredit, BNP Paribas, all of them, Commerce Bank, they all react to this news. What kind of meetings are they having today as their adversary struggles? Well, I think you'll find that, that some of the, the Deutsche businesses will switch to BNP in the sense I'm not sure how they're going to be sold or what they're going to get from them. But the point is, is that Deutsche Bank is making a clear statement here. It, it fell in love with the hedge fund. It fell in love with America. And they are moving away from both of those types of, of, of business. It's become a much more of a corporate bank, focusing on European and, and its, its industrial strengths and moving away from um, hedge fund clients. And do hedge fund do those people stay with Deutsche Bank or continue a part of their business or marginally add business with Deutsche Bank out of national duty? Yeah, of course they do, and I think I think some will uh, increasingly if, if they feel that they're being loved, whereas perhaps they may be ignored. And I think that there will be more emphasis on trying to unify a, a European banking presence, which is overall uh, in a pretty poor state as as it happens. Basically, they couldn't make any money trying to f- sell stocks to hedge funds, and that 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 is a very simplistic way of putting it. But there's no money in stocks anymore. You don't get charged any brokerage for it. There's not they're not getting enough M and A business right. to to justify having the secondary presence and they can probably do a lot of this anyway regardless without having a massive equity yet that's the whole point they can dip in and dip out and some of their captive corporate clients will do business with them regardless 
Tell me about the asset management. Marcus, you and I had a conversation X months ago. They were going to sell the crown jewel. That didn't work out. They couldn't get the price. And now they're trumpeting DWS, their asset management business, is the future. But do you see active management as a future right now for anyone? Well, I think what they're trying to do is, is lessen the pain of the fact they're moving out the investment banking side uh, to, to such a large degree, and particularly, obviously, the focus there would be on equity. They're trying to emphasize they are still a, a broad-based bank. They have private wealth management. They have asset management because they did have to raise some money from DWS. But the point is is that DWS is worth more to them in the moment uh, in-house, and they're emphasizing the fact it has at least managed to grow some assets. So it's, you know, asset management has been a terrible business to be in for the last two, three years. Don't just suffer yeah. from that. But at the moment, relatively speaking, it looks better than the others. <laughs> Tell me about your London. Let's finish up here, Marcus, with the city. I mean, it is the wall. It is historic. Um, full disclosure, folks, I've been a guest of Deutsche Bank a number of times in London. Is is Well, we were talking to Chanel Basak about downtown New York, downtown Manhattan, and the sadness that will be there today. How does that work culturally in London? How do they handle the layoffs at the wall? Well, I mean, it's going to be uh, a difficult day for many. Um, I think that we know that um, this is going to be a process which, uh, like when Lehman Brothers, there'll be a lot of media attention uh, focused on. And I think you'll find that will be yeah. a, a good a good effort done by a lot of headhunters to try and get uh, the, the best, the cream of the crop. So for some people, this will be, will be a relief. Yeah. They'll be probably not been enjoying their life for some while. And there'll be a lot of tension on trying to grab the best out of Deutsche Bank. So uh, yeah. for some, some they'll, this will be a good day for some. It's the end of a career. Interesting. Uh, thank you so much. I'm Marcus Ashworth. Great perspective there. Lisa Abramowitz here in for Paul Sweeney. The big question in bond markets today is, can U.S. yields go lower at a time when the U.S. economy seems to be pretty good? I mean, Tom, that seems to me the fundamental issue here. And uh, Krishna Mamani is going to give us a sense of what's well, going on. Well, with Invesco and, and Krishna, I think, can dovetail in here. The up, down, the back, and the fourth of the weekend, Krishna, and you go on a Monday morning, what do you do? You guys are long-term. How casual are you on this Monday? Well, so uh, we are not casual at all. This is investing and this is serious business. Having said that, uh, one has to be somewhat amused with uh, the gyrations that we have had so far, uh, so far this year. Our bottom line in this regard is very simple. We think the U.S. economy is going to pick up uh, in the second half. Uh, uh, the second quarter was just a soft patch, uh, a payback perhaps for the inventory bill that we had uh, uh, in the first quarter, and uh, things are going to get better. And as a result, rates are probably going higher rather than lower. And I think the employment report on Friday was a proof uh, point in that regard. However, the markets will do, uh, the equity markets will do better, and 3,100 on the S&P is what I'm looking for. Can we just pause and say, I believe I heard optimism there? Well, optimism about (laughs) equities, but the implication here for bonds is potentially dire. I mean, Krisha, how how much higher could rates go, given the fact that duration levels, the sensitivity of investors' fixed income uh, assets is the highest it's ever been to an increase uh, in interest rates. 
Sure. So I, I think that that certainly is a problem, and uh, that that particular issue may cause a bit of dislocation in the marketplace. Having said that, our outlook is rates are probably, or U.S. 10-year rates probably end up uh, closer to 250. Not a whole lot higher from where we are right now, but We're at 2% uh, you know, 50 basis point move, and that could be a significant move. And as the market adjusts, that may cause a d- bit of a dislocation, as I mentioned. However, that dis- dislocation, in our view, is a buying opportunity rather than a, a reason for us to kind of get discombobulated and uh, panic. What sector is most attractive right now? If it's a buying opportunity, I know you don't talk individual stocks. But what sector is particularly opportunistic given the cacophony of news? Well, so uh, let's let's talk about what first what sectors are probably not uh, good opportunities and the defensives, the sectors that do well when interest rates uh, rally, uh, uh, the REITs and uh, other safer asset classes, utilities. Those are not the sectors that you want to be in. The sectors that you want to be in are the cyclical sectors that do well because the economy is improving and the outlook for the economy, uh, certainly in our view, is improving. And therefore, industrials uh, and uh, you know sectors that are sensitive to the overall economic growth pictures and tech. The one thing that I would say is that there are a lot of people who get very worried about tech valuation yeah, and yeah. concentration and things like that. But uh, from my standpoint, if the markets are going to do well, and I firmly believe they're going to do well, the likelihood that they do well without tech doing well, uh, that just doesn't fit. So tech remains a favorite sector of, uh, uh, of mine and probably will remain favorite sector of mine for the rest of this cycle. Krishna, one question I have is, can the U.S. 10-year really move to 2.5% given where we are in Europe and given the fact that people are still speculating that the ECB may even add quantitative easing later this year? Well, so, no, that's that's a very valid point. If the policy action in Europe ends up being very, uh, very prolific uh, and uh, with the change in leadership, uh, that may indeed, uh, uh, or at least some version of that may become uh, become reality. If that's the case, then the 250 may not uh, uh, may not pan out. Having said that, the, the, the key point that I'm trying to make is direction of rates is higher rather than lower, primarily mm-hmm. di- driven by U.S. economy doing better. Krishna Mamani with us with Invesco. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide. I'm Bloomberg Radio.